This is Docs in the Box podcast. A podcast about medicine, muscles, and more through the eyes of two physiatrists. I'm Dr. Amy West. And I'm Dr. Matthew Cowling. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Docs in the Box podcast. Today we have Dr. Sean Pastouche, the uh, founder of Active Life Rx, doing a lot of really cool things in the health space that uh, Amy and myself are very excited about. But I'll let him tell you a little bit about Active Life Rx. So I have a background as a personal trainer, chiropractor, CrossFit affiliate owner for about a decade. Uh, back in 2002, 2002, I got cut from the baseball team at University of Maryland because I was too skinny. The coach literally told me, love your fastball, love your changeup, love how you hold runners on, you're just too small. I'm like, what do you mean? So essentially, that was the day that I decided I'm going to go learn how to get jacked. Now, here we are like 20 years later and clearly haven't figured that out yet. But um, I did learn a lot about exercise and a lot about exercise physiology. I became a personal trainer right out of college. And the reason I did that was I wanted to be able to um, help people who felt like they didn't know what to do in the gym and they, they, they kind of just needed more out of their life and had no idea. Like empower people was the thing. And then I started to get really busy as a personal trainer at Equinox and I would go up to the physical therapy suite all the time and I would say, hey, um, what do I do with my client who has shoulder pain? Oh, you work out around that. I'm like, oh, okay. What about this, pain, this client of mine who has back pain? They're like, just if it hurts them, don't do it. I was like, got it. This is not groundbreaking. I'm looking for something more advanced than if it hurts, don't do it. So from there, I went to chiropractic school to kind of follow after my father's footsteps, my uncle's footsteps. Both of them were chiropractors. I was going to save the world through chiropractic. Graduated school, hated it. Hated it. I hated patients laying on my table asking me, what is this going to cost me and how long is this going to take? Essentially, all they wanted to know was how soon could they get out of my office? And that lost its gratification very quickly. Even, even though I went through all of the evolutions as a doctor of adjusting everybody, x-raying everybody all the way to giving people soft tissue, adjusting about 10% of the time and giving everybody exercise. It still wasn't gratifying. And I'm talking about at a point in our practice where patients were flying in from Brazil to New York, Finland to New York, uh, California to New York, Nevada to New York, Australia to New York to get evaluated in our clinic, which was like, normally you're a doctor. It's like, that's the thing. That's it. They're paying $1,000 for a visit and they're flying in from out of the state, out of the country. You've made it. And I was like, this sucks. I don't like it. It's, it's still people want to leave. I want people to want to stay with me. Not have to stay with me. Want to stay with me. And at the same time, I owned CrossFit affiliates. And I was like, you know what? People are getting hurt in the gym. Even though we are making a cognizant effort to make smart exercise decisions, people are getting hurt. How do we fix that? So started coming up with a solution to get people out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym or giving up their active lifestyle, no matter where they were in the world, because frankly, that was necessary. When patients fly across the ocean, you gotta, you gotta give them something when they're gone. To kind of wrap up the story for you, we end up working with over 10,000 people 
worldwide, uh, 40 CrossFit Games athletes, 40 plus CrossFit Games athletes, five CrossFit Games champions, and coaches start hearing about what we're doing. They're like, hey, what are you doing? I can't help my, my client get out of pain. They're right here. Doctors started calling. What are you doing with our patient? Like they're out of pain. What'd you do? So we started teaching coaches and doctors how to assess and correct the way that we do. And then we started teaching them how to monetize that. And then they started making more money than the gym owners where they work, solving the problems that the gym wasn't meant to solve, but that the gym created. And then gym owners started reaching out. How do we do this? So now we not only help people get out of pain from anywhere in the world without going to the doctor missing the gym, but we also coach coaches on how to do it and coach gym owners and their entire staff on how to facilitate this being able to happen in their gym. And our saying is uh, the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. And I want to be careful, especially with probably who your audience is. We always tell people who come to us that is an adjunct to the healthcare system that currently exists. It is not in place of it. And that's, that brings us to today. Excellent. I love how you say, um, you know, the, the whole phrase, if it hurts, don't do it is actually one of the reasons that I got into medicine um, because I really felt like uh, whenever I went to the doctor, I played football in college and I, I have a career in powerlifting and people would always tell me, or physicians in particular would always tell me, just stop doing it, just stop doing it. But I didn't want to. And when I got more involved in medicine, I realized that, you know, one of my goals was to help people do what they love to do. But I think um, Amy can agree, you know, we're both physiatrists and even within our specialty, which is aimed at restoring function to patients, we have a huge gap with doctors who will tell patients, hey, if it hurts, just don't do it. And I think that that's an area of um, our specialty that can use a lot of work. So it's awesome what you guys are doing. Well, if I can speak to that for a moment, oftentimes I feel like that's, that's the responsibility of the coaching industry. It's not the doctor's fault that they're telling people the hurts don't do it. They haven't seen any kind of consistency coming from people doing it and getting out of pain by doing it. You know, it's, it's, and then the easiest thing for the doctor to do to, quote, do no harm is to tell the patient not to do it. And while I think that there's room for the doctor to improve there, I think that it's incumbent upon the coaching community to rise up and give the doctor the easy out of referring to them. And right now I feel like we're lacking that. Yeah, so how I I sort of stalked your, your content from afar for a few years before I, I moved back to New York and then reached out and said, okay, we're kind of in the same area. So like, let's, let's, work, let's work this out because I think it's really important that the healthcare community is able to find fitness facilities where they feel their patients will be safe and taken care of and that everyone is speaking the same language. Um, how do you prepare coaches to be able to, to, as you put it, sort of rise up to that, um, to that level? So that's a great question. We start off by teaching coaches movement assessment, basic, simple movement assessment. What I mean by that when I say basic and simple is by no means is our movement assessment for coaches comprehensive. That's intentional. We want to avoid 
having doctors believe, excuse me, having coaches believe that they can play doctor. You know, you're not treating anything. You are writing smart exercise for somebody who needs smart exercise to alleviate their discomfort. That's what your job is. If you're not diagnosing, right, you're not interpreting imaging, none of that. We don't even start teaching them that because we don't want them to fool themselves into thinking that that's in their scope. It's not. It's irresponsible. So the way that we teach coaches is we start them off with teaching them a movement screen that includes nine movements. All of them are sensitive. None of them are specific. The idea is just a coach can identify that person cannot get their shoulder into full flexion. They're probably not going to be able to kip without a compensation pattern somewhere downstream. So before we're going to let them kip, we should have them achieve full shoulder range of motion if it's within our scope. That's it. That's baseline. That includes, you know, obviously there's more to it than just shoulders. You know, somebody can't touch their toes or gets low back pain or intense stretching in their calves when they try to touch the floor. We're not going to have them deadlift heavy either. You know, so basic little things and the level, the, re, the, the place where we advance from standard basic education is the example I just gave. When you reach down to the floor and you feel stretching in your calves, but not anywhere else, what is that? Why do you feel stretching in your distal calf when you're reaching down? If there's no muscle that's being lengthened while you do that. And we teach our coaches to understand that there's a strong possibility that that's tension on the sciatic nerve, which does not mean anything specific. But it does mean that if your client is deadlifting and they start to experience low back pain, or you start to see them round, or you start to experience discomfort down the leg, let's stop. Let's bring it up to a riser, to a depth that doesn't cause that discomfort in the calf. And then let's work on why they got that after. Basics, basics, basics. The next step is working them through over 13 weeks. It's called our, our coach immersion course, the Active Life Coach Immersion course. Over 13 weeks, they are on a Zoom call just like this with one of our staff members who is a physical therapist. We have three who do it. All of them are physical therapists. They're teaching the coach how to manage various different presentations all the way to the edge of their scope, at which point it's a refer out if it's not within what we've taught you. Very simple rules. If you're gonna cross the street and you have to think twice, stay on the sidewalk. If you're getting ready to work with a client and you're not sure, refer them out. It's that simple. And over the course of 13 weeks, we give them education through an ebook, assignments for application that they have to turn in to make sure that they're doing the job effectively, that gets reviewed by one of our staff members. They have a quiz every week and they have um, a one-on-one -on -one mentor on our staff who they can call when they're struggling. And then many of those coaches stay on for ongoing mentorship thereafter. And that's the first course that they take with us. That allows them to take other courses like breathwork and bracing, orthopedic considerations, advanced anatomy and physiology for the coach. All of that kind of stuff comes after they've demonstrated the basics. Now, can this be for a coach that's, let's say, in a CrossFit gym or a personal trainer or people who are doing group classes? Who, who are the targets and what kind of people can take these courses? So 
the target is anybody who's ever used an FMS needs to switch. No disrespect to the FMS. Everything needs to evolve. Well, what what's your uh, what's your what are your thoughts about FMS? Can you, can you tell us about yeah tell us about FMS what that is uh, for those that don't know. So FMS is functional movement screen, and it was created by Greg Cook to allow personal trainers and fitness professionals to start to entree into the medical world. He was a visionary in creating that screen. And before he created that screen, there was really a bunch of nothing. It was a bunch of scatter into the ether and there was no organization. Without that screen, I don't know that our screen and our system ever evolves to exist. So we are sitting on the shoulders of people like Gray Cook, Kelly Sturette, and those who came before us. Um, the other big one that comes to mind is Eric Cressy. Those are the three people who we've kind of really taken a lot from, and Shirley Sermon. Those are the four people who've taken a lot from and said, okay, how do we make these all a little bit better? Um, so the problem with FMS as a screen is it's fairly difficult to perform in that there's a lot of skill and motor control involved, which to us is up the pyramid. It's up the hierarchy. We're not worried about motor control and skill until we've established that you have appropriate joint ranges of motion, both passively and actively. Then we start worrying about, can you control them? And the day that that became really obvious to us was watching one of our staff members actually do an overhead squat. Because if you know anything about the FMS, they use the overhead squat as a screen. And it's essentially a check the box. If someone can overhead squat and it looks beautiful, they're probably good. So the staff member of ours overhead pistoled 185 pounds. Muscle snatched it up, pistoled 185. And then about five minutes later, he squat clean, pistol thrustered 205, about three feet from a curb. I was like, please never do that again. And if you watch this guy overhead squat, he was in grid league. He was the guy that was just up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, right? You'd be like, beautiful. He moves perfectly. But he had excruciating knee pain and excruciating low back pain. And when we evaluated why, he had almost no ankle range of motion and dorsiflexion, very flexible hips, and an extremely strong torso. So what happened was he was able to compensate, but he put a bunch of pressure across his knee. And he put a bunch of pressure into his low back that was unnecessary just to maintain those positions. And immediately in that moment, I was like, the FMS doesn't work. This is a problem. We have to fix this. And then we started to evolve to measuring for strength balance and being able to predict somebody's performance just based on a bunch of numbers that they can send us on a sheet. And that was when we started to get real buy-in from, from the pros, the guys at the top and the, girl, and the girls at the top. Yeah, Greg Cook actually spoke at our physiatry conference maybe uh, three, four years ago, five years ago maybe. Um, and, you know, he's sort of introducing this idea of functional movement assessment as a tool in, in our field. And at the time, that was seen as sort of very, like, mind-blowing to many of the people there. Um, so it's interesting how, how it's evolved. And I think in our field, people are sort of still we're kind of a little bit behind where uh, other other uh, movement professionals are and sort of how they how we think about it um we tend to i find sort of drag behind in that sort of catching up in assess in those kind of assessments so um 
it's kind of an, an interesting, interesting thing to see how it's evolving and how you've kind of taken it to a new place. One of the videos that we keep meaning to shoot and then not is to go to a pool and to put somebody in the pool who represents the, the athlete who's training and to have them start to drown, right? Not really, just pretend. And when they start to drown, to have somebody come over who represents the coach to be like, hey, what I want you to do is chest up, get your face out of the water and just start paddling. And they're drowning and they're not paying attention to the coach. And then out of nowhere comes somebody in a white coat jumping out of the lifeguard chair, saving the person out of the water. And the coach is like, oh, thank you so much for saving that person. No problem. Then the person turns to the, per to the doctor in the white coat and says, hey, can you teach me how to swim so that this never happens again? And then the doctor is like, um, yeah, sure. And terrible cues, right? Atrocious swimming advice. The coach comes in and says, here's how you, here's how you swim. Or first the physical therapist comes in and says, let's first, before we swim, let's make sure we can tread water so that if we ever get tired, we can survive. Then the coach comes in and says, let's swim for speed, endurance, stamina, all that kind of stuff to delineate what the jobs are. Because I don't think it's your job necessarily to go down that rabbit hole. I think it's your job to know who can and to be able to refer to them well. Right. And I think that's where we, we struggle is to find those places in the community that can offer those services. Because right now, really, the only places that we tend to refer to are physical therapy places and they, those vary they're kind of all over the map as far as what they're doing there and a lot of patients complain that you know I was I sat on a table and someone put ice on me and then an assistant you know told me to do some exercises and you know at the end of the day they don't necessarily feel like it was helpful so then we go okay uh now what <laughs> so well and and that's why we are repeating 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 that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. And then going into depth about what that means. What does it mean to be the healthcare clinic of the future? Like you need to understand if you're going to do it, that it means profitability. Because the reason that you guys went to medical school is at least in part because there was a reasonable certainty that you were going to have financial freedom upon graduating. At least part of it, right? So a gym can't fail financially because if the gym fails financially, there's no incentive for the coach to go through the necessary rigors of education to become the professional who can do the job. So there needs to be profitability there. There needs to be a focus on what you do. You can't get someone to the CrossFit Games and get that same person's grandma out of pain equally well. So who's your client? Who, like, who is your client? Are they 18 to 35? Or are they 35 to 65? You know, all of these things have to go into what it means. Would you ever have a patient come into your clinic and have them say low back pain? Be like, oh, you know what? Cortisone shots and uh, exercise. No. You would take a history. You would do an assessment. You would take the most um, conservative possible approach and then ramp up as necessary. But... In the gym, it's one option. Let's work out. We'll scale. Don't worry. It's modifiable. That's not good enough. It's not good enough if, if your client 
is the person who needs specific design, specific attention for a problem that general programming isn't going to solve. And so to, to, to make it simple for you guys long term, our plan is to have active life gyms around the country that you can just easily know their education, their basic education, be ready to refer to them, and then look for specialty gyms who've done things like um, a continuing courses with us, like hypertensive clients, pre-diabetic clients, diabetic clients, you know, joint replacement clients, post-surgical clients, how to manage those people after their rehab is over. And that'll be easy for you to find. That's our job. We'll get it done. On that point, Sean, I want to talk real quick about this because I think this is really important. One big barrier that I've been seeing, um, and we talked a little bit about this before, but it's that, you know, you can have a patient and as physiatrists, we like to kind of guide the therapy prescription um, and we can send somebody who comes in with, let's say, you know, an elbow injury or a knee injury uh, to the physical therapist. But then I feel like there's a huge gap between the physical therapist and them returning to their sport or the gym, especially because, as Amy was mentioning, we don't know the quality or there's no general you know, way that we can send people to, to quality providers that we know might be able to do that. So it's important you know, to be able to bridge that gap. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you guys are doing that? Yeah, so first of all, no 45 or 50 or 60 or 65 year old patient of a physical therapist wants to go return from therapy to athletics at Punisher CrossFit. They just don't, right? Like they don't want to go to, to Monkey's Nuts West. Like it, it, it doesn't matter if you're called CrossFit or community fitness. If, if your name is not reflective of being able to do this, if it's not approachable, they're not wanting to come. And then if they walk into the building and there's 10 people working out with their shirts off, dropping weights from overhead, kipping on a pull-up bar, LeBron James in chalk into the air, they're not going to want to come there. So one of the things that happens in a clinical environment is it needs to be immaculate. It needs to be so clean that you would eat off of the face paper. It has to be. That's like, you don't get to market our, our clinic is clean. That's just expected. So some of the things that we're doing in that regard are by naming gyms Active Life, right? That's, that's coming down the pipe. By giving them the name Active Life, it allows those doctors who are looking to refer to have a clear path of who to refer to. Same for the physical therapist, same for the chiropractor. I believe that the reason why doctors, when I say doctors right now, I'm talking about medical doctors, physical therapists and chiropractors and police, I'm going to group them together in this. There's a reason why they get villainized and it's not fair. They get villainized because there isn't someone to pick up the next step. When you go to physical therapy school or chiropractic school, the, everything is judged on ADLs. Your ability to get somebody back to their activities of daily living. The entire curriculum is built to get somebody back to wiping their ass and changing the channel. That's not going to get them on a pull-up bar. And so now the next step is 
the physical therapist who's been, you referred to the physical therapist, the physical therapist refers to the gym and they say to the gym owner, ease them into it. What does that mean? What does ease them into it mean? And until coaches and gym owners understand what acute load is and chronic workload is and how to move somebody from zero workload to an acute workload to spreading that acute workload to make it chronic to then layering that, we're not going to have that gap bridged. So that's the kind of stuff that we need to teach coaches to do. So that when someone's told ease back into it, the coach says, I got you. How, what have you done in the last eight weeks? Nothing? Okay. What did you do before that? Great. We're going to start at 25% of that and stay there for four weeks. Right? We put out an article on the morning chalk up about a week and a half before Murph this year. Basically saying, don't do it. If you haven't been doing pull-ups, push-ups, and air squats, avoid it. And we got a lot of crap. You got to do Murph on Memorial Day. Like, you're not American. Okay. So we got a lot of business the week after Memorial Day of people who were like, my shoulder's mangled. It's been hurting since Murph. How many pull-ups did you do before? I hadn't done pull-ups in like seven weeks. The gym was closed because of COVID. Got it. So these are things that should be basic knowledge for coaches and unfortunately are not. And we're, we're aiming to change that. Yeah, that's an important important tool. And also communicating with people that it's not about giving up what you love, but getting back into it in a way that makes sense and that's safe. And at the same time, keeping you as active as possible. Um, sort of raising your uh, functional capacity rather than lowering the demands continuously um, is a really important thing. So we walk across the stage as doctors and we take the oath to, to do no harm. Above all, do no, I will do no harm, right? But nobody ever helps us understand what harm means. What is harm? Does it, does it spread to the emotional side of telling somebody you can't do that? Right? If, if we create a narrative for somebody that they can't ever do any, do something again, is that not harm? I believe it is. And I'll give you an example. We had a woman whose name was Emily. I'll, I'll, I'll save her last name. She came out to a seminar of ours because she was a coach and she just so happened to be coming with somebody who was writing an article about what we do. She was just this person's friend. And in this particular seminar, we had the coaches lifting weights. And Emily says, I can't participate in the weightlifting part. It's okay. Why not? Well, I have a herniated disc in my back. I said, oh, okay. Uh, me too. Oh, really? So you don't lift either? I'm like, oh, no, I do. Well, you know, and then it started to be curious. I said, well, what did the doctor tell you? I can never lift more than 55 pounds at once. I said, that's interesting. Why not 56? She's like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, why not 60? How do they land on 55 exactly, do you think? She's like, I don't know. So I said, well, listen, you're in a room right now. There are six doctors on our staff. If there was ever a room for you to be comfortable lifting weights in again, I would think it's this one. I'm not going to pressure you to do it. But if you would like, we would love to assist you in bringing that weight up 
to wherever you actually can go. She had passed all of the movement screens with flying colors. There was no contraindication to her lifting weight. Except that she hadn't developed any kind of acute or chronic workload, but that's, that's an aside. That day, she deadlifted 55 pounds and was scared out of her mind to deadlift 60. So we put change plates on and got her to 56. Once she hit 56 without her back exploding, it was game on. And she did 205 for eight that day. Now, she is a, a leading candidate to participate on the United States skeleton team, for which one of the tests to pre-qualify is a one rep max power clean, that they have to lift X amount of weight, I don't know the number, in order to even be considered. If, if she doesn't come to our seminar, is harm not done? For the doctor who told her never lift more than 55 pounds? Sure. They kept her out of pain. But I would argue that they did her harm. In that, I mean, as, sort of, as a sports medicine physician, I, I tend to be a little bit on more on the, I guess, lenient side as far as keep, you know, keeping people out of things. I, it, there's a big psychological component that goes with holding people back from the activities they love. So, it, it, But it can be frustrating from our standpoint as physicians when we don't have the tools or the right people to connect with to get those people back in a way that makes sense. Or you know that sending them to certain physical therapists might just end up in them sort of having re rehabilitation done at them rather than with them. Um, and that can be kind of frustrating seeing people do very passive kind of re re rehabilitation that doesn't actually, is not long lasting in its effects. We still work with clients one-on-one. -on -one. It's still a key part of our business because we don't have enough active life gyms across the country to say, just go find an active life gym. Uh, so until we do, we will keep taking one-on-one -on -one clients. So if you're ever looking to refer somebody, you can feel more than comfortable sending them to us. Now, that being said, um, again, I, I believe that what you're describing, Amy, ends up taking you outside of your scope to be able to do what you want. Because when you, not that you couldn't do it. So I want to be careful to differentiate your ability to gain the skills and, and spend the time from your responsibility to gain the skills and spend the time. Because the only things that should be coming your way are things that only you can do. And we should keep the things that shouldn't be in your desk off of your desk. That's how all successful businesses operate. Right? I don't answer customer service emails at Active Life anymore because there is somebody who's better at answering customer service emails. I don't even take one-on-one -on -one clients anymore. At one point, I had 86. Now I have two, and I'm giving them away to other coaches. As if you can give people away, but you follow my, my, you know, my, my language there. Um, you, it, it doesn't make sense to take the level of education that you have, Amy, or Matt, and spend it intensely working with the client all day, or not even all day, but 30, 40 minutes a day, two to three days a week. It does not make sense. You didn't spend $250,000 on school to spend 35, 40 minutes with a person making slow, gradual change. You spent that to gain a level of expertise so that you could make high level decisions for people. So my practice, the way it's set up, I mean, they schedule people for me pretty much every 15 minutes. So, you know, 
it's just not even even if I wanted to, I couldn't <laughs> couldn't spend that amount of time. So that's why it's that's why we need to find people in the in the community that can sort of pick that up and 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 take the people where they where they need to be. Yeah, I mean the co- the coaches who we work with, um, when they come on board, when they apply to be an active life immersion graduate, we we stop a lot of people because. Part of our course is we guarantee that you will make your money back on our course before our course is over. If you do what we ask you to do when we ask you to do it. So there's no real risk financially to the person buying it, which brings a lot of people out to want to buy it to learn how to make a lot of money. If you're not interested in working with the kind of client who we are going to teach you to be radically effective for, we advise you to go somewhere else and we make recommendations as to where you can go. When gyms come to us and they want to be on our program and learning how to be the healthcare clinic of the future, if when they come on board, they're like, yeah, I just want to get our gym to like 300 members. That's a good number for us to make the income I want. I'm like, cool. You should work with a different company. I have five recommendations for you. We, I believe that it takes a very specific kind of person to do this job well. And that it takes very intentional monitoring of your own energy when you are the person doing that to be ready to ascend out of doing it and to teach somebody else or to enable somebody else to do it and to oversee the quality with which they do it at. It's not a job for everybody. And that's, uh, you know, so Matt and I are involved in the, in the whole CrossFit health movement and a lot. And I think what drew a lot of physicians in, into the, into the idea was creating this sort of healthcare system of the future or uh, rather than a, a sick care system that we have now, but actually create creating health and, and leading people to fitness. So I, this, the, I, the ability to be able to communicate with the, with gyms, is something that we were we were always discussing amongst ourselves and figuring out what's the best way to do that. How do we create this this dialogue between the clinics and the gym and sort of find the common space? So, um, kind of, what are your recommendations for physicians who are saying, okay, this sounds like a good idea. What what do I do? How do I what well, how do I make this happen? Well, the first thing I would suggest is we have over 500 coaches across the U.S. And not on our staff, but who've gone through our education. And about 70 gyms. If there's a doctor who is interested in finding out if there's a coach near them who they can refer their patient to, to become a client. Because I want to be clear. Our coaches do not take patients. Our coaches take clients. Even on our staff where all of our coaches are either physical therapists or chiropractors or massage therapists right now. They do not take patients. We take clients. We do not do medical care. We do exercise, mindset, movement. It is extremely important that we differentiate those two things. Now, once we have that sorted, we can help you guys find a staff member who we've worked with who is near one of your coaches near one of your doctors, if they need to be working with somebody in person. If they don't need to work with somebody in person, we would be more than honored to take them on as our clients remotely. 
the way that we've done for 10,000 people worldwide. And, and none of our coaches work with clients at volume. The most clients I think any of our coaches have is like 60 because we want to, and, and that's full time. We want to keep a very high level of communication between the coach and the client because they're going to do some things that are uncomfortable and we need to make sure that they're comfortable with those things and that they're able to discern between irritation and pain and progression and regression. We need to make sure that the clients understand that so we don't want to overload our coaches. So short answer, send them to us. We'd be happy to, to help you guys manage those people after their rehab is over or in lieu of rehab if rehab is not necessary. Long game, we want thousands of gyms across the U.S. who are active life gyms who have been through a full year of basic education to be able to do exactly what you guys are looking for coaches to be able to do so that you can just go on online and look for an active life gym near you. That's the vision. And is, is your vision for the active life, for the active life gyms, um, I know right now because of kind of the state of CrossFit and things related, there are questions of affiliates and who's affiliated with what. It would, would the active life affiliation be sort of uh, in conjunction with whether they're a CrossFit or a community fitness or whatever, or is it a separate thing unto itself? Like what is the, how is those things, how do they interact? So, so to speak to that, um, first of all, in watching the way that other companies who have affiliations have kind of responded to what's gone on at CrossFit, it's, it's bothered me deeply. And what I mean by that is, it bothers me when somebody acts opportunistically to take advantage of a situation in which somebody else is weakened for the moment or whatever the case might be, especially when without that brand, your brand doesn't exist. I think that's disrespectful. I, I call it bullshit. I'll call it for what it is. And I won't do it. That said, our affiliation, if you want to be an active life gym where your name on the building is active life, you can't be a CrossFit gym or something else. But in order to get our education and to be able to do the job that we're describing, you do not have to become an active life affiliate. You can take our full year of education and stay CrossFit West. That's fine. You know, another thing that I want to speak to on the topic before is all these brands who come out and they're like, you know, CrossFit's so bad, we can't respect CrossFit, they're a problem, they're a problem, they're a problem, but they have no issue taking money from CrossFit gyms, selling them supplements or selling them their product, putting it in their gym. And to me, that's, that's hypocritical. So for us, you can stay a CrossFit gym and you can get our education. And we will make sure that you have the skills necessary to attract people like Matt and Amy to be able to work with them. We just can't put our name on your gym because our gyms, Active Life Gyms, will only exist for the purpose of helping people in the specific way that we help people. We can't confuse the issue and do Fran at 9.30 and shoulder health at 10.30. That, that, doesn't, 
That doesn't make sense. It's who is your target. So that's that's the reason for that. I hope that was clear. And do you see those things? Do you see the Active Life Gym is operating primarily as one-on-one sessions or like as group classes or as you, I don't know. So the way that the Active Life Gyms function is the first year with us is our education. And no matter whether your plan is to be an Active Life affiliate or not, you're not one in your first year. You, we don't just give it to you in exchange for your credit card. You have to earn it. So there's a year of education in which you are considered a provisional active life gym, which means you have to decide that you want to be an active life gym. And we have to decide that we want you to be one at the end of a year in order for you to become an active life gym. There will be gyms who will decide, I don't want to be an active life gym, but I want to continue working with active life. And we will keep those gyms on because there are going to be gyms in the world that are not working, that are not ours. They might as well be great. So we're happy to keep working with them. Now, the way that the active life gym will work is you will come in for class. It will be group class. And the first half of that group class is individually completely custom designed for you. Exactly designed to fix the problems that you need fixed. Mobility, flexibility, strength balance, motor control, bracing, mindset, whatever. The first half of class is for you. If you need to lose 50 pounds, a three position snatch is unnecessary. Like it's, it's sure we can do it, but is it the fastest path to the goal? No, it's just not. So the first half of class, your coach designs your workout specifically to solve your problem. The second half of class, we come from that individual program in the room at the same time, on a time, and we go into a group class that more resembles a Metcon from a CrossFit gym. The difference being the skill is going to be lower. We're not going to include Olympic lifting. We're not going to include complex gymnastics. The range of motion is going to be less because the, re- the place that we want our clients to get range of motion is under extreme control, not as fast as possible or as heavy as possible. So the cardio portion, if you will, the Metcon portion is going to be individualized while the first half of class is going to be customized. Then every month, each member of the gym is going to work with their coach one-on-one, either for a mindset meeting, nutrition meeting, accountability meeting, or a personal training session to bring up their competence and their confidence in the movements that they're still lacking in. That's what an active life gym looks like. If the client in that gym needs more than one session, they get more than one session a month. Personal training for us is to develop competence and confidence. Once you have that, if we continue having you do it, it becomes a dependency state, which we're not interested in. So phase one of an active life gym membership is all one-on-one. Let's make sure you have basic competency and let's make sure that we know how you're going to move in an isolated environment, one-on-one, before we throw you into a class and find out. I'd rather find out one-on-one, right? Oh, you have a, you have a history of knee arthritis? Let's squat today 
Come back in tomorrow. Let's squat again. Then let's talk on Thursday about what your knee is feeling like. If we do that in a controlled environment, instead of doing Murph and finding out that it was a bad idea after the fact, we win. Everybody wins. So the first phase is competence and confidence, one-on-one coaching. The second phase is integration. They're getting one personal training session every two weeks or so to continue to bring up the skills that they are most lacking and to continue to diminish the fear that they most have around discomfort as they move. You both understand fear with pain. Phase three is when they're transcending, right? That's when they get the transformation. That's when they're really gonna have their their major progress where now things are automated, they're thinking less. One personal training session a month all the way down to a quarter. Then phase four is mentorship. I don't believe that anybody reaches complete fulfillment until they've helped somebody else. So phase four in an active life gym allows a gym member to become a mentor to another member who's either in phase two or phase three, who needs kind of the accountability buddy without the coach being their person all the time as someone who has been through what they are going through. And then the last and final aspect of an active life gym at its base is they are going to give back to their community. So they're going to set aside 5% of their membership capacity for people who cannot afford the services that they provide. And those people are going to be able to come to the gym at no financial cost to them in exchange for a designated amount of community service each month. So no free rides. You don't get to just come because you can't afford it. You have to earn it because I believe that handouts are patronizing and I don't think that people value them. But if you do nine hours of community service in your town in a month, you will, you will start to understand the value of service. The gym can pile on and contribute to that service and be a beacon in their town for value. And everybody has access. That to me is the system working well. Yeah, that's a great model. Really focuses on preventative care too. I mean... <clears throat> And making uh, you know, the gym accessible to everybody, which is a huge issue that we have. So, Sean, this has been great. Is there anything else uh, you kind of want to add as we wrap this up? Yeah. Um, I want every doctor in the world to know that they can refer their patients to our coaches. And I want to make sure that they understand that when I say that, I don't just mean that in a, yeah, like, you know, if, if, if you have a chance. I'm asking you for your referrals. Because... I believe that there is a, a major gap that needs to be filled. And right now, as we develop people to fill it on their own, we are serving to fill it. Our staff, who we can quality control. And I believe that if we're going to get your patients back to the gym that they love to work out at in the way that they love to work out, it requires a middleman. It requires a guide back. And we want to be that guide. We've been doing it consistently now for the last four years. Over 10,000 people. Most of them are happy. And when you say pay, like pay, uh, our, uh, us referring our patients, you don't mean just you know the elite athletes or the high-level athletes, if you will. We don't have any more. We don't have any of those right now on our, on our roster as clients. And when, so we've worked with Samantha Briggs. We've worked with Rich Froning. We've worked with... Uh, Camille, my partner was working with Camille. We've worked with um, 
James Newberry, Jacob Hepner. I mean, the list goes on. And what we found was we got to learn a lot about what it takes to be that level of an elite athlete. And most people are not willing to do what those kinds of people are willing to do. And we actually found that it was bad for our business to market that we were working with these elite level athletes because it made people believe that they needed to be one to work with us, which is not at all true. So send us elite athletes if you want, right? They just have to pay like all the other clients do. But we, we want the everyday person. We want the person who is beat up right now mentally because they, they don't know if they're going to be able to get back to the gym the way that they used to. That's who we want. Through CrossFit and through uh, the fitness community, uh, different uh, people with different talents have sort of formed form their own thing that other people in the community can tap into. So like the guys who do the adaptive training, for example, or, um, and, you know, you are doing this. So um, it's another example of a, a, a talented group of people who are doing good work that everyone else in the community needs to know about and and tap into because it's it there are people who are all kind of like-minded doing doing uh good work for people who who need it so and and look my my concern right now with the landscape the way that it is is that if if crossfit ceases to be a thing which i don't really think is going to happen a lot of people who could have helped a lot of people will miss out on the opportunity to do so and so i think that it's incumbent on anybody who values what CrossFit as a as an idea? Forget about who runs it. I, I'm apathetic to that. I don't know enough about what goes on there and who they are to pass my own judgments. I'm not making judgments. If the idea doesn't survive, we all lose. So what that means to me is. We need to be able to continue to educate coaches, whether they end up going through all of our course or not, or any of our course or not, is irrelevant. There are so many good people out there creating content and offering mentorship that these coaches should be getting it from. And I would advise anybody out there who owns a CrossFit gym or owns a formerly affiliated CrossFit gym to find somebody to latch on to to level yourself up. I love it. All right, guys. Sean is giving us a way that we can stop saying, um, if it hurts, don't do it. So check him out. I will uh, drop in the show, in the show notes uh, his website, activeliferx.com. They have a great YouTube channel, a ton of awesome content on there. Um, and you can also check him out on Instagram. Uh, I love this episode. Honestly, this is the kind of thing that, that I really believe in. So thanks for coming on, Sean. I'm happy to come on anytime you want. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Uh, CrossFit Neuro down in Australia, where he has the CrossFit box in his gym, in his office, where the patients coming in who can't walk because of their back pain are looking at prior people just like them doing, you know, Fran. Uh, and he said, I can get you there too. Yeah, I can get you there too. Um, that I would love to have that, but I, I don't at, at this point in my life and career, there's no way I can. I did this originally. I would bring certain patients and friends into our physical 
CrossFit SBC box, um, and I would be their trainer. I'd be their L1 trainer. I'd do it over in the corner out of the way, and then I'm legally covered training as well. But um, And I can give advice in my office on how to do, you know, uh, proper squats. And, you know, I was showing someone in the OR, in the PACU, the, the, the recovery room the other day, a nurse was asking me, saying she can't do squats because her knees hurt. And I was like, well, let me see you do a squat. And, of course, first thing she does, her knees shoot straight forward and, like, five inches past her toes. And I was like, well, that's why your knees hurt. Let me show you how to do a squat. And right in the middle of the pack, you with everybody watching us, we're sitting there doing squats. And, and, and I got her into a more natural. I pulled the drawer out of the, out of the cabinet there, and, and I stood her about, um, about eight to ten inches from the drawer. And I said, I want you to close that drawer with your butt before you bend your knees. And in order to do that, you have to initiate the proper motion to get into a squat, which is butt back and down. And, uh, you know, once she did that and felt it, it was like, oh, wow, okay. And, you know, she still had limited range of motion because she's got the typical frozen hips. But I said, now that you understand that, you need to start working on that every day, set you up a box to sit on or a bench or something to squat back onto, and using that same motion, start going back until you can sit onto that bench and then stand up. And then as you get comfortable doing that, start lowering the level and then just slowly do that. And I have another doctor friend who I got, he's 76, 78 years old. And uh, I got him doing um, the thing that Greg advocated with uh, Kathy Glassman, his sister. He, he said, just start with one squat a day and then add one every day. And, you know, I think she got a year or two into it before she even broke the cycle. I mean, she was doing three, four, five, I don't know how many hundred uh, squats um, each day by the time she broke it, if she even did by now. Surely she has, but, you know, and he said, I did 100 squats today, and this is a 78-year-old man who has a not perfect but pretty decent squat because I've instructed him in the surgeon's lounge, you know. So that's CrossFit Medicus 1. It's me teaching people how to do proper motions in the surgeon's lounge, in the recovery um, unit, and and wherever else I can talk about CrossFit, I'm the typical, you get me talking and I'm going to talk about CrossFit and how it can help. Do you have like actual patients though that you like are following their labs and stuff? Or is it more kind of that's based in your, your urology clinic? Office. And do yeah. you, do those worlds mix or how does that? They mix, they, they usually mix more, but I just haven't, I, I don't bring patients and, and I'm not their personal trainer anymore just because of time. Um, I, I'll encourage them to go to a CrossFit box and I'll tell them where I go. And I said, but there's others around. You can go, you can do it in your living room if you want. And I give them the CrossFit website and say, look up the daily, the daily, um, workouts and start reading about the motions. If you have questions, ask me. But, um, as far as CrossFit Medicus one being the one that's following the patient's labs and all, no, I just do it all through my normal practice. Um, although I can through CrossFit Medicus One, we have a an agreement with one of the labs, LabCorp, where I have an account with Ken and I both do through CrossFit Medicus One, and you know we can order labs from CrossFit Medicus One if we want. But I just do it in my office. the uh, The name CrossFit Medicus One is just so I can teach CrossFit uh, legally, you know, and, and be a, an L one um, affiliate owner. I can teach CrossFit. It's not a money maker for sure. Oh, yeah. It's a labor of love. It's a labor of love and love 
a love for for helping people get fit. And um, I don't know if y'all saw the latest Facebook thing on my page, but I posted the data of COVID and uh, stressed how it's the morbidly obese who it's really uh, targeting is at risk. And this should be a wake up call for everybody to start reevaluating their their lifestyle decisions and and let's get fit and. Uh, someone I know and, you know, was friends with, uh, lived across the street. She's talking about, um, you know, your tone about it's only fat people dying, so we shouldn't worry about it. And who cares about if fat people die? You know, that's what she got out of my message. And I, I even reread my message looking for somewhere where I said, you fat people are dying, I don't care. But I just didn't say it anywhere. I, sa I said, this virus is, is targeting obese people, we need to readdress uh, our health in this country so we're not targets anymore for COVID-19. And uh, that message is just not well taken by people who don't want to hear it. It's just like telling an alcoholic you need to quit drinking. They're going to come at you with all they got, you know, and, and people who are obese are very sensitive to it and are very defensive at baseline. They know they're obese and they feel bad about it. You don't have to make them feel bad about it. They feel bad about it. And I'm conscious of that. And I never tell someone, you're fat, you need to lose weight. I say, I want to help you get healthy. And as you get healthy, you're naturally going to lose weight. But we need to address the diet and the, and the, and the lifestyle choices first. You know, the obesity is just a, a sign of, of an unhealthy um, lifestyle. It, it's not, it's not a something that makes you a bad person or the cause of your medical problems. It is one of the things that comes along with a more global, uh, metabolically unhealthy lifestyle. But it's, 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 it's like tiptoeing through a, a, a landmine field sometimes. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to, to get the message across, right, without coming off as offensive to some people. But I think, you know, the way you're doing it is right. And... Um, and Tom, I've definitely enjoyed listening to you on a lot of podcasts lately. Uh, you've definitely been getting the message out there. I'm waiting for you to drop a book, though. <laughs> but um, hey, so wrapping up here, um, you know, is there anything else that you guys wanted to add to the conversation? I think this flowed really, really good. Uh, that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, just um, cut out the processed foods. That's that's my message to America. If it comes in a cellophane wrapper, a bag, or a box, it, it's probably not healthy for you. Um, just eat whole natural foods and get out and move and exercise. That's, that's all you got to do. Awesome, guys. So you can follow up with Tom um, at CrossFit Medicus on Instagram. Um, also, we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Remember, if you are interested in being on the podcast or have any topic you want to cover, feel free to uh, email us at docsinthebox2017 at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at docsinthebox. Thanks, guys.